July 17, 2019. Tonight I speak at the Women Making Connections annual event. They said they just want me to tell my story. Not sure what they mean by that, but I'll give it a go. Meanwhile, I've been listening to some Wondery podcasts since meeting and being interviewed by one of their contributors, Robert Moore. In one of them, I heard about a serial rapist and killer who used starter fluid sprayed on rags to knock out his victims. Immediately, my mind went to remembering how Don always carried rags and starter fluid. He said it was because our cars were so unreliable, but now I wonder if he used it to subdue children for sex and maybe even murder. Because of Joe Exotic's crazy claims that I killed Don, most of the reporters who have interviewed me have wanted to talk about Don's disappearance, and while I have been willing to give them the facts about what I know of that day, I haven't been willing to go into detail about our relationship. It seems uncaring toward Howie for me to say how much I love Don, and there were so many hurtful things I learned after Don's disappearance about his continuous affair with Pamela Enriquez and others that I don't want to relive. In retrospect, almost 22 years later, I reflect on things like the starter fluid rags being omnipresent. I kick myself for believing his 15-year-old niece came on to him when his ex-wife Gladys said his rape of the girl was in large part why she wanted a divorce. I think about the way he picked me up off of the side of the road that fateful night in 1981, how he stalked me in his car, circling around and around until he was able to convince me to get in. I was just 19 and he was 41. That should have felt creepy. I remember the clothes he used to bring me from yard sales that would make me look even younger. He loved it when I would wear my hair in long pigtails and hated for me to wear makeup. I remember his hateful comment to Jamie in front of me when she was 14. He said, quote, the only 14-year-old virgins are the ugly ones, unquote. Because I knew about the accusation Gladys had made, I'd always been vigilant about never leaving him alone with her. But until he said this, I thought I was just being overprotective. Now I fear I wasn't protective enough. Just having that potential threat in my family should have been enough for me to take Jamie and leave the minute he said such a thing. By this time, we had 90 exotic cats depending mostly on me to be fed, watered, and cared for. I felt that I couldn't just abandon all of them, so I vowed to just keep an even closer eye on him so there would never be an opportunity for him to harass her physically. As much as he claimed to love the cats, I've come to know that all the animal abusers say that. What they love is the attention they get from others by having control over wild animals. It's all about control. I keep relaying the call from the woman shortly after Don's disappearance, who had said that Don had been to her house with a little boy, a cougar, and a bobcat. That phone call was documented on March 16, 1999. Don preferred anal sex to vaginal sex and seemed to have a propensity for women who had very boyish looks. While I was full-bosomed, I definitely have a predominantly male side, and that may have attracted him. I'm learning that rape really isn't about sex, but rather about control. So maybe Don didn't care what sex his victims were. Don's daughters seemed to have loved him, even though he wouldn't talk to them after they sided with their mother in his divorce settlement. But his adopted son, Danny, was a whole different matter. 
On October 18, 2001, I documented a report that police shared with me, saying Michael Spitz had told them that Danny had killed Don and buried him in one of the many pits that were topped off with concrete at the Seffner acreage. In searching this journal for Danny, I came across mentions of Don hating his son because he reminded him of his own failures. I don't know what that meant. One of the times Don had been most beat up, he told me that it was a robbery staged by Danny. On other times, when Don's face and body had scratch marks, he had blamed it on Gladys's jealousy. That had happened a number of times. Now I wonder if there would be any point in contacting her, or if that would just dredge up more misery for both of us. Don gave me two diamond rings prior to our marriage. One was two flowers, side by side, of small diamonds in white gold. The other was a unique ring that I think I talked about earlier in my diary, when someone who saw me wearing it said that it had been one of a pair they had made. Often, Don would tell me he had to have the rings back because he was either placating some girlfriend or his wife, and I always gave them back, only to have him return them to me later. Now my suspicious mind is wondering if he used them as lures for its victims. On January 17, 1981, I documented the night we met and how he had threatened to choke me to death, but when I didn't respond in a fearful way, he rubbed my shoulders instead. Perhaps then he was testing me to see if I'd be fun to kill, or if maybe I'd serve some other purpose. My strength and cool-headedness made it possible for me to bail him out of so many of the messes he got himself into by taking things that weren't his. Mostly it was petty stuff, like taking all the crackers from the table and tables around him, or all of the ketchup packets from the condiment stand, even though we had plenty of money and those items at home. I chalked it up to him delighting in anything that was free, but maybe his thrill was in the theft. I credited his poor upbringing for being the driver behind all of his dumpster diving, but I wonder if he was hiding bodies under the trash and bringing out souvenirs and an alibi for being in the dumpster in the first place. One of the last sad interactions I had with him involving a dumpster was him crying and calling me to tell me he didn't know where he was and describing the dumpsters around him so that I could come find him. Was I within mere feet of his most recent victim when I came to rescue him from his failing memory? I had no sense of smell until years after his disappearance. That could have made me an even more perfect cover wife for him. There could have been dead bodies in our attic where Don, tend, where Don seemed to spend an inordinate amount of time and my nose wouldn't have detected it. He always said he was up there rearranging his gold and cash stashes. Those were not there after his disappearance, just boxes and boxes of bullet reloads, presumably for as many guns. Don had handcuffs. He had told me about using them on a former girlfriend and said that she threw away the key so that he'd have to bring her home with him to meet Gladys, his wife. He said her plan didn't work out the way she thought it would. I assumed he meant that he cut off the cuffs, but now I wonder. Over the years, I'd see Don buy retired police cruisers at auction. He said he liked them because they had more powerful engines for catching up with speeders. I don't recall ever seeing him drive one of them, but he could have kept the cars out at the farm in Sefner. I remember that years ago, there were a number of assaults on women who had been pulled over by what they had thought to be a police car. 
He claimed to spend most of his time out there cutting up broken down equipment he'd bought and turning it into equipment he could sell, but I was never aware of him making any money on that. Now I'm wondering if he was stealing equipment, cars, vans, etc., and running a chop shop there. That would explain no money coming in on the books from it. I feel guilty and responsible now, knowing how much time he spent cruising around in his vans. He was crisscrossing the country, picking up baby big cats all over the place. When he wasn't doing that, he was picking up kids' toys, and especially bikes, at yard sales, he said. Now I wonder if he was using them to lure in young victims, or maybe they were souvenirs of his victims. I was just so happy when he was gone, I didn't ask where he was or where he went. I doubt that he would have told me the truth, but sitting here today, I'm wondering if there were missing or raped children in his cross-country paths. I just spent a couple of hours putting together this list of missing or murdered children from NCMEC. Um, This is a really long URL. I did not include those described as black or infants, as Dom was such a racist that I don't think he would have touched a black person under any circumstance, and I never saw anything that made me think he'd harm infants. After Don started flying his own planes in the 80s, he could have been anywhere, since he flew under the radar and never filed flight plans. I only list persons abducted from Florida and Georgia below, and then I list a whole slew of people who were missing or reported dead during that period of time. I tried to check these dates against journal entries, but I didn't know where Don was most of the time. His demeanor was particularly awful around the time of the last one above, which was February 26th of 1997. And in that same month, he said he had to appear in court for a hit and run on a black boy, but I never looked into his story. In 1996 and 1997, Don said he was in Costa Rica for about a week each month, but I never checked to see if he really was. I just knew he wasn't around, and those were times of peace for me, Jamie, and the sanctuary. If you're enjoying my diary, please like, share, and subscribe. You can find other ways to connect to me over at bigcatrescue.org forward slash carol.baskin.